All right, for those of you that have uh, been with me for any amount of time at all, you, uh, pardon me for the, the repetition uh, in some of these stories, but again, I'm running out of material here. So I've got, <laughs> uh, it's when they ask me to preach, I'm like, you're making me use my best material here. So, but uh, uh, many of you know that Tracy, that's my wife, her parents used to live uh, in North Carolina in the Blue Ridge Mountains, well off the beaten path. It was, it was wonderful. They recently moved to town two years ago, I guess it was, two, three years ago. And so we, we never get to go there. Uh, but again, that used to anymore. They used to have a, a beautiful log cabin on 40 acres. Uh, the nearest neighbor was far away, uh, had to drive 40, 40 minutes or so off the paved road, had to drive through a creek to get there. It was quite the, it's almost like going to camp. But having said that, there are things about having a, a house in the deep woods that, that uh, uh, you have to consider. You live around and near all the creatures of the deep woods. So you have things like deer, which is wonderful. That's great when you see a deer, uh, especially if you're a hunter. Uh, and then you have uh, also creatures like bears. Bears would come around every so often. Uh, those were uh, sometimes concerning, um, but uh, every once in a while beyond that, not much that would hurt you with the exception of snakes. Now, let me just say in no uncertain terms, I dislike snakes and I, I make no distinction between, oh, that's a good snake and that's a bad snake. They're all bad. And who frankly has the time to say, oh, red on yellow, it's gonna, you're dead. Just that, you know, when you're trying to discern if they're gonna, so I, I, I believe you should just stay away from all of them. And, and, and so uh, any, anyway, uh, the, the arrangement that my mother-in-law had with my father-in-law, she said, I will live with you up on the mountains, away from everything, in a log cabin, but my one condition is this. If there is a snake that gets near the house, you will shoot it. You will shoot it dead. And that was the arrangement. And any, and any, any given time that we were there, maybe we would see one snake. And the kids were always entertained to see him, you know, uh, rid of the, uh, the snake that, that came near the front porch. Sometimes on the front porch, which always was a, an, an adventure. Well, okay, so there's this one particular time, one of the last few times that we visited there, I don't know if it was what it was, maybe the rain, that it rained so much that the, everything was waterlogged. And I guess when it rains a lot, that maybe causes the snakes to come up and out of their disgusting holes. And, uh, and, the, and I promise you, there every other visit that we'd been there, we never, we never saw more than one. Okay, but on this particular visit, we started counting and we encountered, and we were only there for a weekend, we encountered 13 different snakes, 13. And if you're doing the math, that's 13 too many, 13 snakes. <laughs> now, I, I got to the point where I wanted to go for, if I wanted to go for a walk, which again, if you're gonna go there, you're gonna go for a walk. But again, if there's snakes everywhere, okay, who wants to go, go for a walk with me? I was like, no. I'm not going. And I said, listen, I will be vigilant. I will carry my, my father-in-law's snake shot. And, uh, and I, this is what I'm going to do. As we walk down the road, I will just scan. I will scan the gravel path. And anything that could possibly be a snake, I will make sure and I will identify. And I will go before us and it will be safe. And if there are any snakes, I will make sure we either go all the way around them or we will kill them dead. And so that was, that was, and so they, they reluctantly went uh, with, with us. And so there I am, I'm scanning and scanning and scanning, making sure there are no snakes. And you think you got it, you think you have a lay of the land. You think you know what you're doing. You think that, okay, this is, this is, this is working. I see everything there is to see until you realize that there are snakes dangling from the trees. 
So my eyes were down here. Little did I know, up here, <laughs> was, yeah, they're tapping me on the shoulder. Hey, <laughs> you know, again, and, and I, and so that was it. They were so, you know, we're just going to stay inside for the rest of the time because of, these, because of these snakes. Now, I would submit to you that, again, this is the way we often approach Christmas. I'll get there. Don't worry. It's snakes. But again, we, we, we think about Christmas and we see the road down here. We, we think we understand and we think we've identified all the things there are to identify about Christmas, but then there are some of the more obvious things that Russ even talked about some of them this morning. Again, it's easy sometimes to think about the baby in the manger. And even, even on a more deep level than that, deeper level than that, you know, we'd say, well, what's the point of Christmas? Well, that a, a baby came and that baby, we often would say, would one day uh, be the one to die for our sins and, uh, and, and live a righteous life. Again, thinking in the future. And I, I talked a little bit about this uh, last week, uh, I think in the, in the Christmas, um, uh, community Christmas, is that just the mere fact that Jesus was in the main, that he was here, that in of itself was a miracle. We could st before he does anything at all, the fact that he's there in the manger is a miracle. And so there's one more, there's one more sort of even why this is uh, amazing that the baby Jesus is here, a thing that I want to consider. Um, the Apostle John, okay, the Apostle John tells us what Christmas means. Other gospel writers tell us what happened at Christmas, so you can read the gospel accounts and that tells you what happens, whereas the Apostle John tells us what it means. Uh, he, he tells us in the gospel of, 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 uh, of John, but in 1 John, in the book of 1 John, he tells us what Christmas means. Let's, let's take a look at it. This is 1 John chapter 1 uh, and following. It says this, that this is so this is this is earth shattering okay that which was from the beginning which we have heard which we have seen with our eyes which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life the life was made manifest and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life which was with the father and was made manifest to us that which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and, and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be made complete. So first things first. Anytime you open up a book like First John, your first question you have to be, what, what's he, who's he writing to? Why is he writing this letter? What's, what's the point of it? Uh, why is First John written? This, this was probably one of the last books written in the New Testament. And by this point, John is probably the last surviving apostle. And we're not exactly sure who he was writing to, but we can deduce, uh, deduce the fact that, uh, that uh, why he was writing it. Okay, he was writing to Christians, to believers, and, and whomever he was writing, they knew him, they recognized him. We can also certainly identify the why. He was writing this letter to address the teaching of, the false, uh, teaching of false teachers. Specifically, John was trying to address the false teaching that was known as docetism. Okay, now you maybe haven't, have never heard of that, that uh, false teaching before. What in the world is docetism? Docetism is a, a claim that Jesus wasn't really here. Uh, not here in the flesh, that he was more like a ghost who, who was, who was human-like at times, and other times he was more divine-like. So John was writing this letter to address this, this heresy, and in no uncertain terms tell the church that if, if you believe that, you're believing a lie. He was here in the flesh, okay? And, and if you believe this lie, the whole religion 
falls down like a house of cards, if you believe this lie of the, of the uh, docetism that docetism teaches. Why is that? And that's what we're getting at today. Uh, this is what we're, we're talking about when we say, what does Christmas mean? What does it mean? Again, I could tell you in a sentence, or I could drag it out a little bit. I'm going to drag it out a little bit. Otherwise, what am I here for, right? First, okay, look one more time at the opening of 1 John. Uh, if the false teachers were saying Jesus was just a ghost, they're saying he's just a ghost and not a real person, how does John answer them? He says, which is awfully reminiscent of what he said in, in the first chapter of, uh, of his gospel, from the beginning, which we heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. In other words, this wasn't a ghost. We touched him. We touched him with our hands. And why? Why is it such a big deal that they touched him? You know, what, uh, that, that he was a living, bring, be, uh, living uh, breathing being just like us. Why is that important? He said, we testify to this. Verse 3, verse 3, that which we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you also, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We're being told here, we're being told here that it's not enough just to believe. It's not enough just to believe in God or even obey him. Christmas means, Christmas means God had gone to infinite lengths, here it is, God had come to, gone to infinite lengths to come near to you, to be near you, and that's it. That's, that's what Christmas, he, he, he went through infinite lengths to be near you. I just told you in a sentence, okay? So we can go now, that's it. Who wants to pray for us to, no, I'm gonna keep going. Maybe I should give you a little bit more. Let me back up to the Old Testament. Okay, let's do that for a minute. This, again, some of my favorite accounts here. Uh, Russ mentioned uh, Exodus 34 in his sermon today. I'm going to back up one more chapter to Exodus 33. We've talked about this a bit in here too. Um, Moses asked the Lord what seems like a simple question. Okay, this is Exodus 33:17 and following. Moses, Moses just asked God, hey God, are you with us? Because if you don't go with us in the land that we're about to, to occupy, which is still a good ways away, actually, uh, if you don't go before us, what's the point of any of this? Uh, Tracy, Tracy, can you get that one too? Thanks. Oh, you got it? Thanks, Thanks Scott. Uh, so Moses asks, are you with us? Uh, he, he's on the mountaintop, and he's asking on behalf of the people, are, are you with your people? Will you go before us? Again, because if you don't go before us, uh, if you don't take us from, from where we are, uh, if you're not with your people, you know, what, 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 good, is it, what good is any of this? Okay, so, so the Lord answers him in verse 17 and says, And the Lord said to Moses, This very thing that you have spoken, I will do. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to go before you. Uh, for you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. So he answers, yes, Moses, you have my favor. I know you by name. And you would think that that was good enough for Moses, but you know Moses, right? He's got he's to he's go for the gusto. He can't just let it lie. He's got to ask for, yeah, he's got to ask God for one more thing. And what is he asking for? Moses said, please show me your glory. Please show me your glory. What is he asking for here? Let me see your face, in which, which the Lord says, come again? No? Can I see your face? Essentially, what, what Moses is saying is, Lord, can I come near? Can I come near you? W will you come near me? Now, it, 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 on the surface, it doesn't seem like such a big deal. 
God, come near me. It's a simple request. God, can I see your face? This should be simple, right? But what does he say? He says, I can't do that. I can't do that. I can't show you my face. For, he says, for man shall not see me and live. If, if I show you my face, Moses, it'll kill you. Okay, does anyone know why? Why, why, why is it that if we would behold the face of God that it would, it would kill us? Anyone have any idea why? I thought you were going to say truth and wholeness. Holiness, as I thought it was. Yes. Mm -hmm. He is holy, and we are not holy. It's it's like getting next to the sun times a thousand. Mm -hmm. And we, I, this, is, this is something that sometimes we just fail to really wrap our minds around, you know, because we, we, we sing about God's holiness, uh, we, we talk about our sin, uh, and what we fail to realize is that in his holiness, it is so pure, it is so, it is, it would be like trying to walk towards, on the sun, you know, it, it, it just can't, it, those two can't exist. Okay, so when Moses says, hey, show me your face, it, the Lord says, I don't think you understand, uh, I, I can't do that. I can't do that. It'll, it'll kill you. So what, what Moses said, okay, what, should I, what I want you to, or what the Lord said is, Moses, go over to the rock over there, and while my, while my glory passes by, I'll, I'll put you in the cleft of the rock, right, and I'll cover you with my hand until I've passed by. That's what I'll do for you, Moses, but my face shall not be seen, okay? So that's what he did. And after Moses receives the law from God written on tablets, he makes his way down the mountain back to the people and he's headed down the mountain from, from just from that, just from that much exposure to God, as he passed by, you know, again, just passing by the rock, just that much, Moses's face was shining. It was shining bright. It was shining so bright that as he came down the mountain, they were afraid of him. They thought, ah, what's going on? It's a ghost, right? Uh, and so just, just from the, the, the passing covered glance of God, that's how it changed Moses. God, come near me. God, come near me. Oh, oh, no. I don't think you understand the ramifications of that. Okay, then there was a time in the Old Testament. It wasn't Moses. Uh, this time it was Isaiah. Isaiah, sixth chapter in the book of Isaiah. Isaiah, prophet of God, right? You have to be a pretty good guy if you're a prophet of God. Same thing that we're talking about here. If you're going to be the mouthpiece of God and utter the words, uh, thus saith the Lord, that would mean you have to be a pretty upstanding fellow, I'd think, right? But in the sixth chapter of Isaiah, he captures a glimpse of the Lord, okay? He he captures, seated on his throne, high and exalted. Uh, Just a little uh, Easter egg here. John 12, 41 tells us this is Jesus that he's beholding, Jesus and his holiness, okay? He's, he's beholding the holiness of Christ. And, and, uh, and so when he, when he is in this heavenly court and the angels are flying, uh, you know, back and forth proclaiming to one another, holy, holy, holy. And when Isaiah saw this vision of the Lord, what did he say? Oh, wow, that's neat. Is that what he said? <laughs> no, not quite. He said this. He said, woe is me and we often think about woe is me is like oh woe is me but as it's written here in in the old testament this is a curse he's calling a curse down upon himself he's not just saying oh poor me it's a curse and why is he calling a curse down on himself exactly what we just talked about because again he's getting just a glimpse 
of the holiness of the Lord and realizing his, his sinfulness, his own sinfulness. And again, here's a guy that, that uses his mouth to serve the Lord. He's a prophet. His job is to tell people, this is what God has said. His mouth is his vocation. It's his tool of ministry. And that's got to be a good thing, right? Well, in the presence of the Lord, he says, my mouth is disgusting, is what he's saying here. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the people of unclean lips. I, I'm, I've got nothing. I'm ruined. Again, God, come near. Come near me, God. And what Isaiah is showing us here is, it's not, it's not quite that easy. You, you can't just be near God. All right, so what does Christmas mean? Why is Christmas such a big deal? Why is it that the birth of a little baby is such a big deal? Well, because he's the one that's going to take away our sin, and it's a special moment to celebrate the birth of that guy. Yes, but this is what John is saying here. God, can I see your face? That one, remember Moses said, God, can I see your face? The, the same God that when in his presence caused Isaiah to call a curse down on himself, that one, John is now saying in 1 John, we have seen him with our eyes. We've looked upon his face and have touched him with our hands. We have seen him. He made fellowship with us. He came near us. This is what John is saying. Again, same thing, John 1 verse 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. We've seen his glory. We've seen it. You know the one that we were just talking about with Isaiah and, 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 uh, and, and Moses? We've seen it. We've seen it. How can it be? How does this work? How is it that Moses would have to die to see God, and Isaiah nearly died by being in the presence of the Lord, yet when Joseph and Mary look upon the face of the Lord as a baby— they aren't blown away. Why, why, when they see the baby Jesus, didn't their faces melt like in Indiana Jones? Anyone want to take a stab at that one? Why is it that when, if, if we really are, if what John is saying is here, when we, look up, when we look upon the Lord and we touch him, we have seen his glory. How is it that when they see this little baby, they're not just completely blown away? Do you have a guess, Scott? He was made fully human. Okay, but yet John still speaks of seeing his glory, right? How do those two things work together? What happened? How were we able to see his, his glory as a human? He's fully God. <laughs> fully God, fully man. You know that Christmas carol that we sing? Which one is it? Hark the Herald Angels Sing? There's a line in it that says, Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Hail the incarnate deity speaking of a veil that i think that those are perfect words a perfect description the glory of god veiled in flesh veiled in flesh do you remember a few years back uh in um here in nashville well around the world uh we had the eclipse and uh you had to go out and buy special glasses and if you didn't have those special glasses what would happen your eyes would blow up because we're, we're telling you, <laughs> that's right, your eyes would literally pop out of your head. The, uh, we were told, don't, don't look directly at the sun because, you know, that's, that's not smart. You could damage your eyes irreparably by staring at the sun, looking at the eclipse. So we'd have to what? We went out and we bought these glasses. 
these glasses that we were put on. And I, I remember that there were some that you bought on, uh, certain ones that you bought on Amazon that they had to recall all of them because they said, yeah, yeah, yeah these will do. And there were people like, no, 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 they won't. They won't do, okay? And so again, you had to have special filtered glasses. Again, couldn't be cheap knockoffs. Uh, again, couldn't be the cheap ones because even the cheap ones could, could damage your eyes. So you had a special type of glasses that filtered the sun's rays to a degree which would allow us to look upon the sun. They filtered the sun to a degree which allowed us to look upon the sun. Anything else wouldn't do. Christmas, that Christmas carol that we sing, veiled in flesh the Godhead see. What John here is saying, and in the Gospels, we saw him. We touched him. He's saying, we saw God in human form. We saw God veiled in flesh. It's like a filter. When we, when we stared at the sun during the, the eclipse, we didn't see the totality of the sun. We saw a filtered sun. When we read about all the attributes of God, attributes of God in the Old Testament, it's, it's overwhelming. You know, again, ask people like Moses and, and Isaiah. When you read about God in the Old Testament, you, you can't behold him. God says, I can't show you my face directly, but in Jesus Christ, you can come near. You can come near. The false teachers in John's day were saying, nah, it wasn't really God. It was a ghost. It was, a, it was, it was watered down. It wasn't real. John says, no, fully God. Fully God, veiled in flesh. And here's the thing. There were times when, when Jesus walked among us, the Bible tells us, that Jesus would, would peel back that veil for just a moment, just for, just, just for a glimpse, and, and a beam of, of manifest deity would, would shoot through, okay? Let's, uh, let, me, let me remind you a couple of those, those times. The stories of uh, the disciples. This is one of my favorite stories. Russ Ramsey just came and he's sitting in the back there. Uh, walking through this, this story with, with Russ Ramsey changed my life. And I'm not even kidding you. Uh, it was during the time when my father was, was dying. And, uh, and I was having to do a, a, a homily for someone else's funeral, knowing that my dad was dying. And, and this is, Russ said, this is the text. This is the text that you've, you've got to use because the, the disciples, this is in, in, uh, in Mark 4, were, were being tossed about. Uh, they, they were in a storm and uh, they were afraid for their lives. And where was Jesus? Asleep in the stern of the boat. He was sound asleep in the midst of, of the chaos. And the, the question that they asked, the question that they asked was, Jesus, don't you care that we're dying? which again, at, at any given funeral, is the fundamental question that we all want to know. When we talk about lost during Christmas, that, that's the fundamental question that we're asking Jesus. Don't you care that we're dying? And so there, there's the Savior asleep in the stern of the boat, and they go to awaken him. Now, uh, I, I've, I've never awakened my wife, for instance, for any reason that was also greeted with a, hello, dear, it's nice to see you. Whenever I awaken her, it's always, there's always confusion, there's always uh, uncertainty about what's happening, and if you awaken her, not me, because I know better by now, but if the kids come in and they awaken her for a bad reason, I mean, you remember face melting, <laughs> eyeballs exploding, that's, that's what will happen, I've seen it, okay? But again, they, they go to awaken the Savior, and, and again, if you're awakening the Savior, the, the Lord of the universe from a deep sleep, uh, 
And again, if it's not enough to awaken him, but to awaken him in a panic, hey, we're dying, okay? The Lord awakens and he rebukes the wind and the sea and says, peace, be still. And immediately, peace, all right? And he says to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? But it's what the gospel writer tells us next that's so revealing. The threat had left, the seas are calm, they were still, the wind had vanished, it was all fine now, but how do the disciples react? Verse 41, and they were filled with great fear and said to one another, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Do you see what happened there? They went from afraid to more afraid. More afraid. Why? Just ask Isaiah. Jesus in that moment peeled back that layer of flesh and showed his divinity. And in the same way that, that Isaiah was terrified, so were the disciples. We beheld his glory, John says. It was around us. We touched him. This wasn't possible before. Okay, that's, that's what Christmas means, the glory of God, the unapproachable God in our midst. Now, now why is that important? Why, why did God have to come near us? Why, why couldn't he remain far off and untouchable? Why was it so important that he came down in the flesh, live like us, and, and live with us, okay? Why, sometimes I often ask the question, why couldn't Jesus just come down on uh, Good Friday, be crucified as the Son of God, and then our sins would be paid for? Why did he have to come down... And, uh, and be among us. Why did he have to come near us? Anyone want to try and answer that one? Why couldn't it just be that he was crucified on Good Friday and that was it? Say again? Okay, you just touched on it. He said he didn't, he, Dean said uh, he didn't want to take the easy way out, but then he also said, uh, it proves that he's human, you said, right? Mm -hmm. And he, being human, he what? Lives like a human. Not as a human, but, but like a human, okay? He, I, I prayed this a moment ago. He had to live the life that we were supposed to live and die the death that we were supposed to die. And Russ talked about that this morning too in the sermon, okay? He had to live with reference to us. It, it, couldn't just, it couldn't be a ghost that was crucified because again, if we sinned and, and, and God, God can't just take, okay, let's just say, I was going to say Hillary, let's say Spencer sins and Spencer, because <laughs> we know, you know, when, when God looks at him and he, and he forgives Spencer's sins, what, what happens to Spencer's sins? It's not that God just says, oh, okay, let's just forget about it. Pfft, they're gone. The sins don't just disappear. Where do they go? Again, they go on Jesus. Not, not just even lead by example. Look, God, when we talk about perfect justice and we say that God is perfectly just, what, that, what would it look like if we had the perfect justice system here in, in our country? No one would get away with anything. And every crime committed, the perfect punishment would be applied to it. That's what perfect justice would look like. So God, who is perfectly just, he takes... Spencer's crime, and he must needs provide a perfect, you know, counterbalancing, if I could say that, punishment 
that needs to be applied to him. He can't just say, ah, forget about it. He's got to answer sin with something. And so where does that sin go? It has to be paid for. It has to be accounted for. And it had to be put somewhere. And it was put on Jesus. Okay? So not only did he have to pay for our sin, not only did he have to absorb Spencer's sin, but he had to also live righteously. He had to live righteously because, again, it's not enough to just be sinless. Ask Isaiah. Not that he was sinless, but again, you have to not only be sinless, but also righteous. Micah 6, 8, does anyone know that verse? He has shown you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you? But to do justly, to love mercy, walk humbly with your Lord. None of those things are what does the Lord require of you? Don't murder, don't kill, uh, don't, don't bear false witness. That's not what he's saying. He's saying these are, these are all to live justly, to walk humbly with your Lord. In other words, what does the Lord require of you? You have to live righteous. You have to be righteous. And so that's why the Lord just couldn't show up on Good Friday and be crucified. He had to live a right. He had to die for your sin and he had to live for your righteousness. He took your sin, gave you righteousness so that you could be presented before the Lord completely and declared righteous. All right. And this is this is how we're told in the uh, uh, book of Hebrews. He had to be made like his brothers, Hebrews 2, 17, 18, in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of it, to take away the sins of his people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. He had to live with reference to you. This is why he had to become a human. All right. And if he's not really human, he can't help us. We committed the sins as humans. Humans have to pay for the sins. And again, and if he's not human, he can't live with reference to us. He can't live and die in our place. A ghost can't do that. A faraway God can't do that. He had to be like us in every respect, and he had to come near us. Okay? So, do you know what it means to be a Christian? When it gets down to it, when you get down to the nuts and bolts of it, do you know what it means to be a Christian? To be a Christian is nothing more than a legal declaration. Someone, someone just like you, came here, he came near, he walked the earth, he walked the earth that you walk and lived the life that you should have lived, and took the legal sentence upon himself that should have been placed on you. And because that happened, you have been declared not just not guilty, but you've been declared righteous. If the unapproachable God doesn't come down, veil himself in flesh, and live life with reference to you, none of that can happen. None of that can happen. Okay, so Christmas then is not just Jesus's birthday, and I'm not suggesting you came in here saying that, but again, these are the things that I want you to see. I don't just want you to see the road. I want you to see the trees. I want you to see everything around it too, and this is one of those things that sometimes dangles around us that we miss every single year, that yes, it's about the birth of a baby, but it's also about a God who came, who previously couldn't. Again, ask Moses, ask Isaiah. A God like that can't come near unless he veils himself in flesh, unless he comes as a little baby, living as a human, like a human, just like a human, you know, in, in your place, as a human. I think I said it backwards earlier. Did I say it backwards? He lived as a human, not like a human, as a human. I said it right? Good. Thank you. I have recording that we can... Uh, <laughs> play it back for us, right? Again, that's what he had to do. That's what the God of the universe had to do. Uh, and that's what Christmas 
means to me today. <laughs> what, what, uh, what other comments or questions or, or uh, uh, insights do you have? What can you share with us? Anyone have any reactions? Yes, sir. So we have a saying in those amendments. Say again. Mm-hmm. We have a saying in those amendments. He's going to a PCA church called Redeemer, Matt Howell. Mm-hmm. Matt and I started, so he and I can talk. I started listening to Matt's sermons podcast. So we did one a few weeks ago on judgment, and he just talked about this notion of we as human humans want judgment, right? We don't want a, there's a lot of crime amendments. He's like, we don't want a system that says, ah, that's okay. Right. Just let that go. Even deep down, we as human beings, when something is done wrong, we're wired to want justice. Mm-hmm. Somebody needs to pay for that thing that just happened. Mm-hmm. Yep, I was about to say, yeah, Dean just said that's the Imago Dei. That's because we are, we are, we are made in the image of God. And our, our souls long, our, our being longs for justice because of the one whom we're, in whom, from whom we're cast. We are cast in the image of God. And again, I think about that biker, uh, cyclist in Franklin yesterday uh, who, who lost his life. He, it was, he was hit by someone who was impaired by alcohol. And so when, when, uh, when that happens, you know, who among us would say, ah, it's fine. No, we want justice. Our, our, our hearts scream for justice. In some, in a case of, and again, God, who is infinitely more holy than we are, uh, and again, who, whom we can't commit the, the, the smallest uh, peccadillo, is, is, uh, is the term, tiny sin, uh, without, without committing treason against our maker. And again, he can't just say, ah, it's fine. Uh, no, justice demands that that even tiny sin be accounted for. We have to, it has to be accounted for. Someone else? Thoughts? Yeah, Scott. Well, I, I'm actually just wanting to know, mm-hmm. I'm speculating on the other times when we uh, kind of pull the veil back, right? So mm-hmm. baptism, mm-hmm. you know, and then we have the ascension, mm-hmm. right? And then obviously like crucifixion, like all that, which are other times. Yes, yeah. Oh yeah, there's there's so there's a lot of great accounts. Uh, the Transfiguration is probably the most, and maybe the one that John is speaking to directly when he opens up his Gospel of John, when he talks about we've seen him, we saw the glory because he, P- Peter, James, and John were up on the Mount of Transfiguration, and you read about that brilliant white, whiter than any any clothes could be bleached. Again, he peeled back that layer. The other one that I love is at uh, in the Garden, in the Garden of uh, uh, Gethsemane. Uh, when, when they uh, came to arrest him, the soldiers approached him and they asked him, uh, you know, we're looking for Jesus of Nazareth. And he says, I am he. But again, the construction of the words that he uses there, I am he, he's, he's, it's, it's a formation of the holy name of God, I am that I am. And when he said that, when he just said those words, the text tells us, that the the soldiers fell back. It literally blew them off their feet just by him saying, I am he. And they they, they flew back. Can you imagine what they thought? What just happened? How did that happen? He peeled back that veil of flesh, that layer of flesh, and revealed that that deity that was underneath underneath the flesh. Uh, I'm sure there are others that I can't think of. Do Do you have, or something else? Yeah, this is, Mm-hmm. And, and biblical justice as, as we think of it. 
Yeah, gosh, good question. Yeah, I'm glad Russ is here. Russ, would you like to take that question? <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah, uh, and there's, there's so, there's, we, we, we go so far back with that conversation because, again, you know, is that person you're talking to, do they, do they believe in a deity uh, or, or do they, are they an atheist? Because, again, even those two are two different, totally different starting points. Uh, but, again, I, I do think that is important to start at, uh, at, at the, the, the longing that we all have. I feel like that is almost a, a, universal, a, a universal desire, longing for justice. When you get down to it, when you get down to brass tacks, there isn't anyone who truly believes, ah, I don't think we need justice. Why? Why is that? Why do you think that? Why is it? What, where did that come from? Uh, oh, it's just that, well, no, because, you know, animals don't have it. You know, animals will eat each other. You know, why, why do we feel like when, when another life, for instance, is destroyed, why is it that, that there's something inside of us that says there's something wrong with that? There's something not good with that. Again, that separates us from, from every, every other creature on earth, okay? And so, you know, I, you, you have to go so, that far back and maybe appeal to that, that, that just sort of primal sense of justice. It's in us. Same thing, and you don't even have to go that, that dark. Uh, why is it wrong to, why is it wrong to lie? Who says it's wrong to lie? Uh, who says it's wrong to uh, commit adultery? Who says it's wrong to, you know, and you can name anything. And again, this is not true for anything outside of, of the human race. You know, they, they don't have these, where did that come from? It has to come from somewhere. It has to come from the Imago Dei. Uh, that's maybe where I would start, but again, that, then there's five other, six, a dozen other splinters where the conversation could go from there. Uh, because again, oh, well, we are evolved is, is the next thing that they could say we've evolved from, but how? You know, you can keep, you have to keep going back. And again, uh, I'm sure I'll think of something else and I'll send you an email. Oh, this is what I meant to say, Danny. Yeah. Yeah. Uh -huh. But isn't that part of the challenge we have in today's world that it's about my truth? Yeah. Not the truth. Well, yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, you hear that all the time. It's about my truth. Uh, not about the truth. And so whenever, if I ever in, in, in a discussion along those lines, uh, I, I still try and appeal to, okay, where, where did your truth come from? My truth, my truth is really, really old, okay? My truth goes back to, uh, has biblical foundations. And, and the biblical foundation goes back thousands of years to, well, again, in the beginning, God, that's where my, where does yours come from? Where do you start yours? Where is your foundation of truth? And, and, and any, other, any other system of belief, uh, you know, comes from someone's thought. You know, I think about, you know, we were talking about, uh, it was, uh, I was talking with Carlos. Uh, that, that's uh, Sarah. Carlos is, Carlos is on staff here. Uh, I'm sure he'd love to tell you that he came from a background of uh, Jehovah's Witness. He was, he was raised Jehovah's Witness. And so I was like, fascinating. How, how, did, how did you come out of Jehovah's Witness into, into the life of Christ? Because the fundamental flaw I see within Jehovah's Witness, within Mormonism, within uh, uh, Islam, is that it rests on one person. It rests on one person's revelation. It was revealed to Muhammad. It was revealed to Joseph Smith. It was revealed to Charles Russell that God told me this. 
Whereas the word of God, it stands not just on one person, but the testimony of the 66 books of the Bible, the apostles, the prophets, and how they all fit together. And again, it doesn't stand or fall on one person. It stands on all the totality of it. Uh, And again, so if you're going to tell me my truth, tell me what your truth is rooted in. And inevitably, that system of truth is going to come down to one individual person who formulated some sort of uh, belief or system of belief, and we've taken it and run with it, whether it's Marxism, whether it's, uh, again, Islam, any other world religion, it it stands and falls based on one person. Uh, And again, well, couldn't you say the same thing about Jesus? But again, look who Jesus is upheld by. The, the, the law, the prophets, and, and uh, thousands of years of, of words written down well before, you know, the words of Christ were written down. Uh, so to me, that's, that's what's remarkable. And again, that's why my truth does, just doesn't hold water, doesn't hold water with me. That's probably more than you asked for, but you get me on a roll, I'll, I'll keep going. Someone else, any other thoughts, comments? All right. Okay, so next week is uh, Christmas Eve. Uh, we do not have class here, so it's just Christmas Eve service. We have a regular time, uh, 9 o'clock, right, Tracy? 9 o'clock service, and then we have a 3 and a 5. So plenty of, uh, of, uh, of Christmas uh, time to, uh, to, to think about these things and, uh, and worship uh, because of these, these truths. So let me close this in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are the God who came near. Uh, who wasn't satisfied uh, to say, you, you cannot see my face and that's just the way it's going to be. But instead, you gave us Jesus Christ and we see your face now in Jesus Christ. And Father, as, just as we long for the arrival of, uh, of, the, of the, the infant who would, who would bring this about, Father, help us long for the return of that King Uh, so that we can, so our joy can be made complete, so we wouldn't have to live in suspension anymore, but be able to behold the face of of God in Christ uh, face to face. We long for that day, but in the meantime, Father, give us the strength to make it through uh, each and every day that we, each and every encounter, each and every trial, each and every bit of suffering. Uh, Father, help us to to keep our eyes focused on the one who saved us. Uh, Father, thank you for your word. May it change us. We pray these things in the name of Christ and for his sake. Amen.